Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good uh, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. I was here, I feel like, last week, um, but I think it was about a month and a half ago, and I came back just for that welcome. Um, that's, that's why I, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding on. Um, but it's awesome to be back with you again as uh, we explore the series, You in Five Years, looking at where you are going to be in the next five years. Uh, and so today, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be uh, speaking into this series, and we're going to look at something called uh, spiritual disciplines, or the practices of Jesus. Um, sometimes discipline can be a hard word to kind of understand, but we're going to be looking at this morning and looking at, hey, in five years' time, where do you want to be with your walk with Jesus? Where do you want to be with uh, the way you love Jesus, the way you live out your faith, and the way uh, that you and God's relationship is? Um, and we're going to be looking at that and, and asking some questions about how do we get to a place where actually in five years we don't just go, what happened five years ago? How, how, where did I get to this point? And we actually get to a point where we can go, hey, I think in the last five years, my relationship with Jesus has got deeper and stronger, and my faith has grown. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at that this morning, uh, and I'm excited to look at that with you. Uh, and so maybe a good question to start with, and it's going to come up on the screen right now uh, as, we, as we explore today, is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What, what does that mean? It's a, it's a, it's a phrase where, where Jesus says time and time again in the, in the New Testament, he says, come and follow me, come follow me. Uh, and it's said uh, to numerous people at numerous times. Uh, and it's a phrase where sometimes we use this word discipleship in church, or we talk about being a disciple of Jesus. But I think sometimes we might use that phrase a little bit lightly. Um, I wonder uh, if, if you're like me and you like knowing what fancy old words mean, and they just like sound really cool and you get different definitions. If you don't, put up with me for five minutes and then uh, we'll, we'll work through this together. But um, the word for disciple, or the word to, um, to disciple under Jesus is a Greek word called mathetes. And mathetes means to uh, apprentice. It's a better word to think of like apprenticing under someone. So if you think, if you're in the trade industry uh, and you were to apprentice under someone, you would kind of just do what they do. You'd follow along behind them. You would learn their trade and then you would walk with them and you would practice it out until you got to the point where you could do it yourself. Um, and so when we think of discipling uh, under Jesus, think of the word apprentice. That may be an easier word to kind of understand in today's culture. I'm apprenticing under Jesus. It means the word mathetes. Uh, and there's two things that any uh, rabbi like Jesus would have. Um, one would be mathetes, so it would be people that would follow after them. And what another thing would be a yoke. Now, we, Stephanie um, this morning read the, the scripture from Matthew 11 about Jesus saying, hey, my yoke's easy. And Jesus is not talking about scrambled or sunny side up. That's not what he's talking about when he says my yoke is easy. What he's saying is saying the way I live and the things I do and the way I interpret the scriptures is easy. So the yoke is the way that a rabbi would live. It's their lifestyle. It's how they do things. And so when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, it's saying my lifestyle, the way I live, the way I interpret the scriptures, the way I follow God, that is what you are to imitate. And so this is important when we're looking at what it looks like in five years, five years time, where you're going to be with Jesus. This is important. And so a question I want to ask you is how, 
how do we apprentice under Jesus well? In five years' time, if you're thinking, hey, five years' time, I want to be, I want to be closer with Jesus. I want to grow deeper with Jesus. I want to be a better disciple or better apprentice, a better mathetase of Jesus. How do we do that? Uh, author and pastor John Mark Comer, he puts it this way. He says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me say that again. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines or, or spiritual practices or the practices of Jesus. And I think sometimes discipline is a kind of hard word to, hard word to understand. Um, if I say discipline, usually my first thought is my parents when I was growing up. That's my first thought of discipline. And I don't know what your household was like growing up and what discipline looked like for you. Um, we had two very type of disciplinarians in our house. Um, my mother, who screamed really loud, and my father, who said nothing. And not nothing as in he was just kind of, he didn't do anything, but he had a certain way about him when he would discipline. See, me and my brothers, I grew up with uh, two brothers. There's three of us. So my mom had three teenage boys at one point in her house the poor woman, um, and, uh, and we knew how to kind of like push my mom's buttons, like we knew how to just do it well, and so we would push mom's buttons, and she would get to the point where she'd start screaming, and she'd be like, ah, and she would just scream really loud, and we thought it was funny, so we would just kind of keep pushing the buttons a little bit more, and then she would say one phrase that we would just stop, and that phrase was, just wait till your father gets home. I don't know if you've heard that phrase or if you've said that phrase um, before, but that phrase just brought fear into us because dad wouldn't come home and like beat us or scream at us or it, it wasn't anything like that. But dad would come home and he just had this look about him and he would just look straight, as, straight in the eye and be like, what did you do today? And the way he would stare and the way he would talk, it was the scariest thing on earth. I remember when I was 15 years old. So I was like pretty grown by this point. I was, you know, starting to go to the gym. I was trying to like beef out a little bit. Still at 15 years old. And I remember my mom said, wait till your father gets home. And I actually went and locked myself in the attic above my room because I was so scared of what my dad would say. Not do, just say. And I was like, I don't want to come down. I'm so scared. Um, I don't know what discipline looks like to you. When you think of discipline, I'm trying to learn how to skate at the moment. Because um, as you can tell, I'm not from here. Um, I'm from Scotland. And so I'm learning how to skate. And, and I, I really want to play hockey. Like, I want to be that guy who's not from here but can play hockey really well. Like, when he kind of gets on the ice and everyone's like, oh, it's the foreign guy. And then I'm like, whoa, McDavid. Um, that's, that's where I want to get to. Um, I will never get to McDavid because um, that guy is amazing. Um, but I want to get to that point where I can, like, competitively competitively skate on an ice rink and actually play and not look like I don't know what I'm doing. But that requires discipline. It requires discipline. Um, discipline in itself is doing something over and over and over again until you get to a point where you're actually accomplished at that thing. And sometimes we can look at discipline long, uh, in a weird way, maybe how we've been brought up, how we've experienced discipline. But discipline is simply just practicing the ways of, uh, when we think of Jesus, practicing the ways of Jesus over and over and over again. So we get to a point where it actually becomes normal to us. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. We're going to dive into a little bit of history and before we look at three practices that I think are really important in today's culture. Um, and to do so, uh, I really need some help. Um, and I'm looking out the room and maybe I have some help that I could really help with. I, I need a 12-year-old or 13-year-old girl and then like a 14, 15-year-old boys. You three look like the three youngest people in the room right now. 
because everyone else looks old. So can you just come like join me on the stage? Is that okay if you just come join me like for two seconds? I promise it won't be embarrassing. It may be embarrassing for them, but not for you. Awesome. Just kidding. Hey, can you welcome them up onto the stage with me? Hey, what's your name? Jada. And how old are you? 12. Perfect. And what's your name? Diem. And what's your name? And how old are you? Eight. Okay, so you're going to be 12 in this circumstance. Okay, you're 12. Now you've grown up. Does she act like 12? Yes, so you're 12. Okay, you're going to now be a 14-year-old boy. Is that okay? Okay, you're, and what's your name? Jonas. And how old are you? Awesome. You're 15 now. Okay. Okay, so you're 12. You're a 14-year-old boy, and you're 15. Okay, are we good? Are we good with this? Okay, I'm going to give you a little history lesson on the Jewish educational system. And this is really important because this is going to be playing into a big part of today's message, okay? So if you're like the Jewish educational system, where is he going with this? Just hold on for, for a couple minutes. And you've got some cool people on the stage here to look at anyway. Okay, so this is what's going to happen. Is, um, back when Jesus was discipling people, back when he called his followers, there was a way in which you would do that. There was a way in which the Jews would do that. And it was done in three different tiers. So the first tier was called Beit Sefer. Okay, and I'm going to use you for Beit Sefer. Okay, is that cool? Because you're the 12-year-old now, right? Okay, you get older. Nice. So Beit Sefer. And so Beit Sefer basically was like school. It was growing up, you go to school, you learn how to do math, you learn how to do um, Hebrew, you would learn um, what it means to be educated, okay? That's what Beit Sefer was. Basically, it was kind of like elementary to junior high. So basically, that's where you are at Beit Sefer. But Beit Sefer, part of Beit Sefer was meaning you'd have to learn, hold this for me, okay, you'd have to learn this whole Old Testament part of the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And so in Beit Sefer, so from the ages of like zero to 12, you're going to learn all of this bit off by heart. How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay, so that was basically Beit Sefer. Um, and so Beit Sefer was you would learn the whole Torah off by heart or to the best of your ability. Now, if you were a boy, you maybe would move on to a different level. But if you were a girl, by 13, you would just get married and get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's rough. Okay, so that's basically what you would do. So by the age of 13, you would have graduated out of Beit Sefer. You would have, um, you would have found a husband, or the husband would have found you. Um, and then you would just get married and have babies. It's pretty much what you would do in the first century. Thank you. You can go take a seat, so thank you so much. Okay, my 14-year-old boy. Okay, so, um, so you are like the best of the best of Beit Sefer. Okay, you've like graduated with like distinction. And everyone's like, oh my goodness. He's so smart. So you would graduate something called Beit Talmud, okay? So Beit Talmud was basically three years from 12 years old to 14 years old, where you um, would basically, it was called House of the Book. And so what you would do, if I can get my Bible right here, let's go, boom. Okay, hold this up for everybody, this part here. So you'd basically learn what was the Old Testament off by heart. So that's what you do in Beit Talmud. Okay, so this big chunk here, how do you feel about learning that off by heart? You know? No? So this is what Beit Talmud was. You would learn basically what was the Old Testament, everything that was known as the Old Testament, off by heart. And, and during that point, you would get like a personal tutor, and they would just teach you through that whole thing. But basically, from 12 years old to 14 years old, if you're a boy, you learn all of this. So that's what you would do. And then maybe you would graduate out and go and work for your dad or do something else. So thank you. You can go take a seat. Thank you so much. Okay, dude, you're 15, right? Yeah, you're 15 now. Awesome. Okay, so you are the best of the best of the best. <sighs> okay, you're awesome. Like, everyone's like, 
Dude, that's the guy that graduated Beit Talmud with like distinction at the highest level. So you would graduate Beit Talmud, you'd done so well, and you would come and an, a rabbi, so someone like Jesus, a rabbi, would come up and test you. So he would ask you every question that he would want to ask you from this, because you know that's off by heart, the whole thing. You know it all, everything. And he would ask you multiple questions. He would test you. He would test your brain smarts. He would test your intelligence. He would test your faith. And if he thought that you were good enough, if good enough to follow him, and also good enough maybe one day to be a rabbi yourself, he would say, come follow me, kid. Come be my mathetase. And that's what it meant to be a mathetase in the first century. So how'd you feel about that? Is that okay? You're going to learn all of this and then be tested on it? Impossible? Okay, well, the Jewish people, it was an oral culture where they spoke everything, but that probably still doesn't help us. We feel really bad. Um, but thank you so much. That's awesome. Okay. So this was the culture. This was the culture of, of first century and when Jesus was walking the earth. Okay, this is what it meant to become a mathetase. So when a rabbi said, come follow me, come be my disciple, come apprentice under me, it meant going through these stages. So Beit Sefer, Beit Talmud, and if you're the best of the best of the best, and you've learned all of this off by heart, and you know everything, maybe, maybe if you're good enough, you become a mathetase. What's really interesting is Jesus doesn't do this at all. He flips it all in his head. He actually approaches, um, approaches adults, and, and we think adults, maybe 40-year-old men with beards that are fishing, maybe more like 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So they may be graduated Beit Sefer, or maybe just not. Maybe, maybe they've just failed at all, and they're now just doing whatever trade their family does. And Jesus approaches these guys and says, come follow me. Come be my mathetase. See, as we start to think of discipleship and following Jesus, Jesus flips it on his head. He says, come be my mathetase. You do not need to know any of this, but come and follow me. Learn from me. Come do what I do. See, there's, there's a couple things when it means to come and follow Jesus. It actually just means be like Jesus, do the things Jesus does. The, the third thing is kind of like, remember that wristband we used to wear when we all thought we were cool that said WWJD? What would Jesus do? It's basically that moment where we have a wristband on our wrist and we go, everything that I do, what would Jesus do? That's what it meant to apprentice Jesus, to be a mathetase of Jesus. You didn't have to do all these stages. You also didn't have to just be a boy. Jesus called women to come follow him too. Something was changing in the way discipleship was happening. And so when Jesus says this, he says this. He says, come and take my yoke on. Come be my apprentice. Come take the way that I do life on and follow me. So, so if you're Jesus Mathetes, you would literally, what's Jesus eating? When does Jesus sleep? How does he walk? What pace does he walk at? Like, we want to follow everything that Jesus does. And sometimes we think it's a bit weird that, um, that maybe fishermen or, or tax collectors would actually kind of like leave their job and follow Jesus. It's actually not. It's not weird. To be a, a, a mathetase was like basically the greatest honor in, in, that, in that stage of society. So to actually be called to follow a rabbi was like, wow, you've been called by a rabbi. You must be awesome. And the reality is they weren't awesome, but Jesus was. 
uh, Steph read the scripture from Matthew 11, and I want to read it again for us. Um, it's going to come up on the screen, just in the, in the message translation. Um, we read it a couple times through the NIV. I want to read this again, um, because this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. As we think of five years' time, what does my relationship with Jesus look like? I want to ask you these questions. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the invitation of Jesus. His invitation is to come follow me. Come be my apprentice. For all those who are tired, burned out, who are anxious, who are behind on their to-do lists, who can't sleep at night, who stress over what others think of them, who are burned out on religion, who... Anybody like that in the room? Anybody at that point? Where they're like, oh, it's minus 55 outside and I'm done. Why am I at a church this morning? Um... Because I think Jesus wanted you to be here today. And see, if you have accepted that invitation, or if you're still to accept that invitation of Jesus, what that means is to actually apprentice under him, to become his mathetes, to do what he does. Not simply know about him, or not simply even believe in him, but to actually follow what he does. We sung that song, I am the way, the truth, and life. And, and it's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. I think sometimes we, we only hold that last part, truth and life. Jesus has got great theology. How we think about, how we think about God is great. Life, uh, my moral ethics are really good. <laughs> I'm a really good Christian. But actually the way in which Jesus lived, I think sometimes we lose that in, 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 our, in our culture, in our day. That actually the way that Jesus lived. And so today I, I want to just talk about three quick practices that I think will be really important in our culture. To actually start to walk the way of Jesus again. To apprentice under Jesus. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying get rid of your car and ride a donkey. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's ways in which Jesus lived that I think are actually really important for us today. And so we're going to look at that. The first one is slowing. This is the first practice of Jesus is slowing. Um. Cardiologists Meyer Friedman and Ray Rosenman coined the term hurry sickness. Anyone heard of hurry sickness before? Let me tell you about it. After noticing that many of their patients suffered from a harrying sense of time urgency, they defined hurry sickness as a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Some of you are like, that's me. People with hurry sickness think fast, talk fast, act fast. They multitask, they rush against the clock, feeling pressure to get things done and getting flustered by any sign of a problem. I'm talking about this because this is me too. <laughs> I'm a hurry sickness person. Hurry sickness increases your body's output of the stress hormone cortisol, which can be long-term health problems such as depression. It can affect your personal relationships too. Go fast working habits travel home with you and they can make it difficult for you to give your best to your friends, your family, your spouse. Your mind stays locked in a state of overstimulation, making you tired, anxious, and prone to irritability, but unable to relax. Quick question for you. Have you ever imagined a stressed out or rushed Jesus? Just think about it for a moment. Have you ever imagined Jesus to be in a hurry or stressed out or rushed? 
There's an amazing moment in uh, John 11 um, when, when Jesus discovers that his, his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, has just died. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that story before, but there's an amazing moment where um, is, he gets told, Jesus, Jesus, your, your, your friend Lazarus has died. But we need to go. We need to do something. His friends, his disciples had the sense of urgency that, well, if Jesus, if you can just get there quick enough, something can happen. And there's this amazing moment where Jesus goes, okay, um, let's just wait here for two days. <laughs> his disciples are like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. Lazarus has just died. Uh, so we need to kind of go. And maybe there's a chance that if you do something, he can come back to life. And Jesus says, we'll just, we'll just wait here for two days. We'll just, let's just stick around here for a couple of days. And, and then we'll, we'll meander our way down. And we'll get there. There's this amazing moment where he actually, they, they think Lazarus, oh, maybe he's fine. He actually is dead. And Jesus spends two days. We don't really know what he does. He just spends two days hanging out. And then he makes his way down. And then he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. There's something about the pace in which Jesus lives you never see a moment where Jesus just rushes to get somewhere or he's like running. He's like pulling up his like long cloak and his sandals are coming off and he's just giving it. Like we don't see that. We see Jesus just walking slowly. He's making his way. He works his way to places. He doesn't seem as if he's stressed or he's anxious or he's in a hurry. And a question I ask you, if you're a math taste of Jesus, are you? Are you stressed? Are you hurrying? Are you running? Are you, are you always, in the, are you getting hurry sickness? See, what it means to be a mathetist, a follower of Jesus, means to actually follow in the ways of Jesus. And one of those ways, I think, in today's culture, is to slow down. That doesn't mean to be lazy. Don't, don't hear me saying be lazy and do nothing. But what it means actually to slow down. To slow down how we do things. See, Jesus saw things from a heavenly perspective. He saw things from a heavenly perspective. He knew what God was saying, what God was doing. And we're going to move on to point two. And this is why I think he knew this. Point number two is silence. Silence. This is the second spiritual discipline or spiritual practice of Jesus. Um, in 2011, the World Health Organization report called noise pollution a modern plague. Did you know that? Concluding that there is overwhelming evidence that exposure to environmental noise had adverse effects on the health of the population. A 2006 study published in the journal Heart found two minutes of silence to be more relaxing than listening to relaxing music. Ever just, anyone just got to that point where like, I'm so stressed out, I need to play relaxing music? Two minutes of silence is better. It said based on changes in blood pressure and blood circulation in the brain. A 2013 study on mice, here we are, published in the journal Brain, Structure and Function, involved comparing the effects of ambient noise, white noise, pop calls, and silence on the rodents' brains. Although the researchers intended to use silence as a control in the study, they found that two hours of silence daily led to the development of new cells in the hippocampus, a key brain region associated with learning, memory, and emotion. Silence literally can grow the brain. There's this uh, amazing moment of Jesus when he, uh, he's just been baptized. Okay, so he's just been baptized. He comes out of the water. There's this amazing Trinitarian moment where the, where the father kind of says, this is my son, I'm well pleased. The spirit comes down, fills Jesus. And then there's this weird moment that happens. And I always thought it was a weird moment. It says, the spirit led Jesus into the desert. And I'm like, why? That's really weird. Like, you've just had this amazing moment where you've been filled with the spirit. And it's like, now go to the desert for 40 days. 
And I grew up thinking that the desert or, or, or being away from people or, or being alone was a sign of weakness. But interestingly, the more I've read and the, the more that I've learned from people, I found that it's not. It's a sign of strength. The word desert, another fun word for you, um, as we think of, of what words mean. Sometimes in the English, we lose translations of things really easily. Um, desert's another one of those words. Um, the Greek word is eremos. Eremos can mean deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place. That's one of my favorites. Or the wilderness. Let's read this in a different way. The Spirit led Jesus to a quiet place. How does that change how we think of what happened in that circumstance? And for years, this story made no sense to me. Why would Jesus have to go away for, for 40 days to fast, to, to not eat anything, simply just pray and then get tempted by the devil? Like, that would be so the devil, when I'm tired and hangry, that he just turns up and then, like, frustrates me. Like, that's how I, that's how I would feel. But it's not. It actually took Jesus 40 days of fasting and praying and alone time with his father to have the spiritual power and the strength to stand up against the devil and to come back and start his ministry. And what's really interesting is sometimes we think of this desert place or this isolated place, this quiet place, as somewhere where maybe Jesus wouldn't want to go back to. <laughs> he spent 40 days there. Um, but what's really interesting in Mark chapter 1, we hear this story, and then he comes back into town. And he comes back in, and the next day, he's teaching in the synagogue in the morning. So he's doing this. He's standing up. He's giving sermons, giving messages. He then goes out, and, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She's like, ill and he just like boom you're healed and then people are like oh he heals people now that's really cool and so all the like sick people all the demonic people all turn up and Jesus just like casting out demons healing people casting out demons healing people and then you think at this point this guy deserves a good nap and a good brunch the next day like he has had a lot on his plate what happens the next day in Mark 135 he gets up early in the morning to go back to the quiet place to spend alone time with the Father. Some of you might just be thinking, Jesus just was an introvert. <laughs> that's what Jesus was. But I don't think that's the case. Jesus knew that the alone time, the silence with the Father, was where his power was. And that's the question I want to ask you, is what does your alone time, your silence with the Father look like? What does that look like in your life to spend silence? This is not spending a quiet, this is not just a quiet time in the morning. This is not doing your, your 10 minute Bible study before you go to work and go, just ticked it off. Let's go to work and have a good day. This is actually spending deliberate silence and alone time with God. And silence can be eerie. Silence, just you, yourself, your thoughts can be eerie. But Jesus spent alone time, not just by himself. He spent it with the Father. And I ask you, what does that look like for your life? So the first thing, is going, actually, what does it look like to slow down? Secondly, what does it look like to bring silence in a world that is so noisy? A world that's so noisy. Um, Steph and I were having a conversation a few months ago. She was reading a book that basically said that the average restaurant now has noise decibels that are too loud for the human ear to, like, comprehend. So when you go out for a meal, like, if you go out to, like, any restaurant, and they've got music on, they've got people ordering, people talking, plates smashing, like things happening. It's actually over the noise decibels that we should really be listening to as a human being. That's why sometimes when you come out of a restaurant, you're like, oh, it's so quiet now. <laughs> I can, this is weird. If you think, if you work in that industry, how noisy that is and how that affects your health. 
maybe silence is maybe an answer to one of the disciplines that we can put into our lives to start following Jesus better. Third thing, uh, Sabbath. Um, Sabbath. See, I'm going to three yeses. Like when you preach, you do three things that sound the same. Yeah. Um, Sabbath. Sabbath basically means to cease or to stop, to, to worship, to take a rest, to have a break. It's the, it's the only commandment, and when we think of the Ten Commandments, it's the only commandment that God gives a justification why he's put it in there. It's really interesting. I encourage you to go back and read Exodus 20, um, when, when God gives the commandments to Moses. He, he says, do not murder. He doesn't tell you why. He's like, just don't do it. Like, don't be dumb. Don't kill people, please. Like, but he doesn't give a reason for it. But the only commandment that he gives a reason for it, he says, he says keep the Lord's day or keep it holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. He says, why? He says, because I've blessed it and I've made it to be holy. He actually gives a justification why that rule, that commandment is there. And I think, I don't know about you, but I grew up on the Sabbath being a really interesting concept. The Sabbath was a concept that was called the Lord's Day. And we would go to church like three times. We weren't allowed to smile. Food sucked that day. And it was just a really bad day. Like it wasn't great. It, it was a really hard, it was a very religious day. Actually, it was a day that I really didn't look forward to. I would do church in the morning, church at night, youth group after church. And then I would get home and I'd be like, I am so tired. And then it'd be like school tomorrow. And you're like, ah. Oh. Like that's what the Sabbath was for us. But interestingly, when we think back to Jewish culture, that's not what Sabbath meant. Sabbath meant literally ceasing and stopping and resting. Having people over for supper. Enjoying company with good, life-giving people. And worshiping God. Um, a little bit of, of, of story for you. Um, we, we've tried to start practicing Sabbath uh, in our marriage. Um, it's going. That doesn't mean it's going well. It's just going. Like it's going more than it was going before. Because um, to actually adopt a, a, a Sabbath, a, a full day out of your week is really hard. Because we live in such a hurried, busy, loud world. For you to say, I am not going to be present in that hurry and busyness for one whole day a week is really difficult. So it takes a bit of process. But what it looks like for us, let me just tell you, it feels like Christmas one day a week, every week, without the annoying family. That's what Sabbath feels like. And you know what I'm talking about when you think Christmas, annoying family, y'all just had it. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. So what it looks like for us, really simply, it means that on a Sunday evening, we start our Sabbath. Monday's my day off. So I, I work weekends and stuff. So Monday's my day off, and it's actually Steph's day off too. So we have Monday off. So we've said that that'll be our day. Um, and so we start actually on Sunday night. Um, and usually Sunday night is pretty relaxed. We have some, some homemade food, some healthier food. Um, and then we try, try and go to bed a little bit earlier, okay? Just like not like 12 or 1 a.m., which typically is me. Um, it's like, okay, let's go at 10, 30, 11, maybe, if we can make it, if we can do it. And then we don't set an alarm. Oh, yeah, we don't set an alarm. We just wake up when we wake up. And then we wake up and we have, I have coffee first because I can't function. Um, so I have coffee, and then we have breakfast, and then, um, and then we typically, on our Sabbath day, we do a couple different things. Um, we like to read, because did you know that reading actually is really good for you? <laughs> if you're young, you're like, no way. I thought my phone was. No, your phone kills you. Um, so um, reading is actually really good for you. And so we'll, we'll spend some time reading. We'll spend some time, uh, in, uh, like I'll, I'll read my Bible. I'll spend some time just um, worshiping God in that way. And we typically take it to a place that's, that's quiet or life-giving. So we have a coffee shop that we go to that's basically just full of plants. And it's pretty quiet and cheap coffee. 
And uh, we just sit there. It was really life-giving. Um, the big thing on that day is we actually turn our phones off or we don't have our phones on us. So we just turn our phones off. And so when people be like, I tried to contact you on Monday, but you like didn't get back to me within three seconds. Like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, I didn't have my phone on. What? You didn't have your phone on? No, I didn't. Because we actually cease from the hurry and the noise and the busyness. And then we'll do something that we really like to enjoy doing that day. Um, so maybe, like, for me, I love watching movies. I love movies. I'm actually going to go to the cinema this afternoon. I love movies. Okay? Um, and actually, like, we'll go maybe do something like watch a movie, not sit at home and binge Netflix all day, but we'll go actually and do something. Or maybe we'll go and do something else fun that we like doing. So Steph likes looking at flowers and plants. So we'll maybe just stay in that shop for another three hours and look at flowers and plants. Um, but we do something that's life-giving for us. So we start with good food. We have a good sleep, so we rest. We spend some time worshiping and reading and growing our relationship with Jesus. And then we do something that we really enjoy doing. That's what our Sabbath looks like. How does that sound for a day for you? Sounds a little bit different than the Lord's Day that maybe you grew up on that was really like draining and hard and disciplined. See, I think this is what Sabbath looks like. I think this is what Sabbath looks like. Sabbath means disconnecting from hurry. It means prioritizing God. And so these are three disciplines that I think you could adopt into your life. Slowing down, silence, and Sabbath. I'm not saying I'm an expert at any of these. I'm saying the reason I'm talking about these is because I'm learning them as I go. It's, it's hard, especially in, in a culture that we live in. It's hard, but these are three ways in which Jesus lived that as his math takes, we can adopt. And you know what's really ironic? Do you know what's really ironic? These practices, Jesus actually never asks us to do any of them. The only thing he actually says to do is pray. It's the only command he gives in a spiritual discipline or practice to do is to pray. And I actually don't even think that's a discipline. I just think that's just a life thing, just to pray. He never says, get up early, have a Sabbath. He doesn't say, have a quiet time. He doesn't say, read your Bible. He doesn't say, live in community. He doesn't say, practice Sabbath, give your mind to the poor, slow down. He just does them. He does them. And then he says, come follow me and be my apprentice. Come follow me and be my mathetes. So if you want to follow me, you should do these things. And what I love about Jesus' leadership, his leadership style isn't coercion or control. It isn't coercion or control. It's about example and invitation. Jesus is about example and invitation. Follow the ways of Jesus. And what does it say in Matthew 11? You'll have a life that is freer and lighter. That does not mean your life will be easy. It does not mean your life will be easy. Actually, for the most part, it probably won't be. <laughs> but it'll be freer and lighter as you walk with Jesus. So if you want to take a handle on your life, if you want to see your faith grow, if you want to see your character develop, if you want to see stress decrease, if you want to see your life become lighter and freer, adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Because not only is he the truth in the life, but he's also the way. And that starts today. I'm going to invite the band up to join us because we're just going to respond with that song that we sung. That he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Following Jesus doesn't mean just knowing him. It means actually doing the things he did. Because when I look to Jesus, I go, he never was stressed out. He there was one point where he got anxious and he sweated blood. But that's because he was going to die on a cross. So give the guy a break. But he, ne he walked his whole life, never stressed, never rushed, never anxious. He seemed to always have time for people who weren't noticed. He had like, this moment he could see unnoticeable people and just spend time with them. He, he never was, seemed to be distracted. He seemed to be present at every single moment. 
And there's something in our culture where we, we, we want to just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, or, or things speed up. And, and maybe you're from a, a generation where you're like, I just want things to slow down from when it was like when I was a kid. Or my grandkids, they, they can't talk to me normally. They just try and text me all the time. But like, it, it starts by example. It starts by leading by the example. And so I wanna, I wanna charge you, Crosspoint, to be a church that leads by the example, the way they follow Jesus. Would it be like a mathetase of Jesus? You don't have to do all the stages like the kids did when they got up on the stage. You don't have to do all that. Jesus just says, come follow me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Um, let me pray for us, and then we're gonna respond in song. Um, Jesus, thank you that this morning that we can uh, just open the word and, and, and hear uh, your voice through it. Jesus, thank you that your life is a model for us. You're not just simply the way to get to heaven, but actually you're the way that we start to live now. Eternity starts here. And God, would our lives reflect that? Would people notice something different in us? Would people see a life that is freer and lighter, less stress, less anxiety, less worry? Because we start to adopt your lifestyle, not simply just know who you are. God, this morning, if we're struggling with that, if we're struggling with knowing how to do that, would you remind us again that, God, the reason we can do these things is because you sent your Spirit. You sent the Holy Spirit to fill us, to equip us. It's what happened before Jesus went out to the desert. He was filled with the Spirit and then was led. And he was able to fast and to pray and to be tempted, but not give in because he was filled with the Spirit. And God, would you remind us this morning that if we follow you, that we've given your life to you, that we are also filled with the same Spirit. So God, I pray for this church. I pray that you will bless them. God, I pray that it will be an example in this side of the city. That people will look this way and go, man, that looks like a lifestyle that's way better than what I have. And I want to follow Jesus too. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.